I don't know if you're familiar with Proverbs 10:17, but this week, this I was going through preparing Ecclesiastes, preparing the sermon, and this is something that just really struck me. Proverbs 10:17 reads, "Whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life. He who ignores correction leads others astray." Last week in our series that began on Ecclesiastes, we opened up Ecclesiastes chapter 1 with Koheleth, the teacher, the preacher, the leader of the assembly. Ecclesiastes comes from the Greek word ekklesia, gathering. This person, this Koheleth, he's talking about how everything in life, everything, absolute futility, meaningless, Hevel, Hevelim, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And we said, let's just close up our Bibles and go home, right? Let's just leave it there. No. So there's, because all scripture is what? God breathed, theopneustos, right? And so because all scripture is God breathed, we have to dive into Ecclesiastes. We can't just do this superficial reading and pick one or two verses and say, oh, well, I like that one. We have to look at the whole thing. We have to look at Ecclesiastes and the message and what it is that God intends for us. So as I was preparing this week and reading through Ecclesiastes chapter 2, things kind of start to get a little bit better, but not much, right? If you spent time reading it and you're just, you know, you spent time reading it and you're kind of sitting there and you're reading, oh my goodness. It's like Christine, my wife, was speaking to the youth last week and one of the, one of the, Individuals in, in the Sunday school class said, it sounds like Ecclesiastes was written by an angry 13-year-old. <laughs> it kind of does. It kind of sounds like it was written by an angry 13-year-old. Like, everything's meaningless. You know, I'm just kind of going to sit in my room. I'm going to dress all in black, and I'm just going to be angry at the world. Uh, I don't know if y'all remember, but back in the 90s, there was this popular thing that was going on in Christian circles. So I'm going to put a little slide up here for you and see if you guys remember. Y'all remember that? WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And, and people kind of hung on to that. And we gravitated in like every situation, every circumstance. Well, what would Jesus do? I don't know if y'all know this or not, but that's the wrong question. It is. It's the wrong question. See, last week when we looked at that golden circle principle, we said, yeah, it's a secular idea that was popularized by Simon Sinek. You know, you got the what on the outside, you got the how in the middle, and you got the why in the center. But it's true. Just because a secular person has identified it, maybe systematized it, doesn't mean it's not true. So I'm not going to stand up here like Simon Sinek or a, a motivational speaker and just say, hey, you know, Let's, let's, let's chase after the why in life. And, you know, because there's a lot of lost people that Simon Sinek has, even Simon Sinek himself, he's not a Christian. He goes and he talks to companies and he says, why do you do what you do? Ask them that question. There's a lot of people, a lot of companies out there, and they know what they do. Some of them know how they do it. Not a whole lot know why they do what they do. And the ones that really do a good job, like Apple, Sony, other ones like that, when they really understand the why, then those companies make progress. But then you ask the question, well, why? See, because Koheleth, possibly Solomon, a lot of scholars believe it was Solomon, a lot of people believe that it was, 
but he's not named in, in Ecclesiastes. So if it was Solomon, possibly, he did a lot of amazing things. Amber sat up here and said, you know, he did a lot of things. He had all these projects and things that he did. But why? Why did he do them? On the outer circle, the what? What's easy, right? What's easy? When I was in seminary, I had Dr. Bingham for one of my church history classes, and one day Dr. Bingham got up in front of the class, and oftentimes I shared this with you all before, that Dr. Bingham wouldn't talk about church history. Those were my favorite classes. Not that I don't like church history, but he'd get up there and he'd speak relevance of ministry. He'd share his experience and years of being a professor and being a pastor, and he stood up the one there one day and he just kind of started to walk back and forth. And the whole classroom, about 200 students, it was just dead silence. And he just kind of paced there for a minute and he stopped and he looked out and kind of adjusted his glasses. And he said, students, do y'all realize it's really easy to be you? It's really easy to be you, seminary student. You look out on the landscape of the classroom and virtually every guy who was in seminary at that point wore khaki pants. Every guy would wear a shirt like the one I'm wearing now. It was a short sleeve shirt, untucked. Then they'd have a messenger bag. Most of them would have, you know, some kind of Greek or Hebrew tattooed on their forearms. Virtually, it's like cookie cutter. Everybody's the same. Half of them, you know, the guys had these big old grizzly monster beards. And they're, all that stuff on the outside. Well, what does a seminary student look like? We got the what down. But why? Why do you have Greek tattooed on your forearm? Well, because my buddy did it. Why are you wearing khaki pants and flip-flops? Well, because that's what everybody else wears. And these are the people who are the leaders of the Christian movement today, right? Let's just copy what everybody else is doing. And Dr. Bingham just stood there with a little bit of disdain, but a lot of love. He said, it's just easy to be you. You got that praise and worship music playing in your car. You got the WWJD sticker on the back. You guys all look the same. But what's really different about you? We asked that question for decades, centuries, maybe even millennia. What would Jesus do? goes all the way back to the 1300s. I'm not going to go into a lot of the possible places where it started. But we do the same thing in life, right? Say we want to diet, right? And we want to eat right. It's the what. But why? See, if you don't really understand the why, then the what gets kind of confusing. And we're like, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to eat a double Whopper with cheese and I'm going to top it off with a Diet Coke, right? Because that neutralizes the, the calories of the double Whopper with cheese, right? I'm going I'm to have a Diet Coke. And it's okay, I'm gonna, because I had a Diet Coke and I did something right, I'm going to treat myself to a Sunday afterwards. <laughs> but that's what we do. We say, well, we're going to exercise. For years I spent uh, my, my profession, my undergraduate degree, before I was even saved, was in kinesiology, or is in kinesiology. I spent a lot of time in gyms and personal training and watching people in the gym and I'd hear them on the cell phone. It reminds me of the commercial where they have this guy and he's sitting there and he's got like one of those ab stimulators on and he's watching TV and he's really overweight and he's eating popcorn and there's just food all over him and little ab stimulator things going. And he picks up the phone and his buddy's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm working out. <laughs> See, we got the what down, but we don't really understand the why. Why? 
And the same thing holds true in churches today. See, we go to church, we read the Bible, we pray, we memorize Scripture. We do all those things, but why do we do them? Well, because that's what mom and dad said I'm supposed to do. That's what the life of a Christian is supposed to look like. But then if you just kind of dig a little bit deeper, one day when I went in before my back surgery, I went in for an epidural steroid injection a couple weeks before. And I was sitting there and I was laying ready to go in for the procedure and I heard all these nurses on the other side of the curtain. And they're talking. And one of the ladies was saying, you know, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How you been? Oh, I've been good. I've been good. Well, what do you, I'm about to get married. You're about to get married? Yeah. She goes, well, I didn't see anything on your Facebook account about it. She goes, oh, well, that's because on my Facebook account, that's really just for my church friends. If you really want to know about me, you know, look me up on Instagram and I'll give you my code name. And we're, we're all sitting here going, oh, oh my, I would never. Really? You would never? Nobody in here? Nobody's maybe living a little bit of a secret life, got a little bit of a secret sin that we kind of hold on to. We kind of keep in our back pocket. We don't really want to tell anybody about that one. When we pray on Wednesday nights, when we talk to a counselor, maybe you talk, go to a counseling session with the pastor, you go to a small group, you go to women's or men's. You don't really talk about that part of your life, right? See, because we just want to concentrate on the what. But we don't really get to the why. See, we use different language. We have an uncensored attitude. There's those friends. We got our church friends, and then we got our real friends, the people we can really talk to. We can kind of drop all the filters and the pretenses. I want you to write down a couple of scripture verses. Colossians 3.23. Colossians 3.23 says that we're supposed to do everything that we do as unto the Lord, right? Not as unto men. We do it with all our hearts. See, that goes past the what, and it gets into the how. But it still hasn't gotten to the why. In the Old Testament, Israel lived by the code of the Shema. They were supposed to anyway. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, Shema. That's where it comes from. Hear, listen. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Everything you've got, but why? Why? See, churches today, we're ripe with stuff, right? We've got the what down. We got projects. Some of you probably have picked this up. I've had this conversation with a couple of people, but I absolutely despise the word programs. We got a children's program, and I just want to throw up. Blah. I despise it because as a church, we shouldn't have programs. Everything we do should be ministry. Everything. We say, well, it's the same thing. No, it's not. See, you can do a program without ever having done ministry, right? You could take all the youth and you can bring them to a concert. It could even be a Christian concert. We had a, you know, that's a youth program. Was the gospel presented? Did anyone ever talk about Jesus? Did anyone ever talk about you coming into this world already riddled and broken in sin and in desperate and dire need of a Savior? Or did we just go and we got our Jeremy Camp on? Woo! 
Woo! And then we go home, just like those bubbles Amber was talking about. Why do I still feel empty? When I was there at the concert, it was awesome! It's like Disney World. I rode all the rides. I did everything. Then why do you have to go back? Why do you want to go back? Doesn't Solomon or Koheleth talk about that in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes? The streams are always running down into the sea, but the sea's never full, and the streams never stop running. Eyes are always seeing, never satisfied. Ears, always hearing, never satisfied. No satisfaction. We got programs, we got projects, we got production. We're good at the what? I'm going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. That's just kind of the appetizer. I'm reading from the American... Uh, I'm sorry, the HCSB, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Your, your version may be a little bit different. I said to myself, this is Koheleth. Many people believe it to be Solomon. I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure and enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it's madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine and how to grasp folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom until I could see what is good for people to do under the sun during the few days of their lives. I increased my achievements. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself, made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs of water for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants, had slaves who were born in my house, also had many herds of cattle and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself many concubines, the delights of men. Mm -mm -mm. Thus, I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished, what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile. In a pursuit of the wind, there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Then I turned to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. Lump all those together. For what will the man be like who comes after the king? He will do what has already been done. And I realized that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also knew that the one fate comes to them both. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Hmm, why is that? Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself, this is also futile. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise man, since the days come to both will be forgotten. How is it that the wise man dies just like the fool? Hmm, I wonder. Therefore, I hated life because the work that has been done under the sun was distressing to me, for everything is futile and a pursuit of the wind. I hated all my work at which I'd labored under the sun because I must leave it to a man who comes after me. 
Who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all my work I had labored under the sun. For there is a man whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, but he must give his portion to a man who has not worked for it. This too is futile, hevel, and a great wrong. For what does a man get with all his work and all his efforts and he labors with under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is futile. There is nothing better than to eat, drink, and enjoy. I have seen that even this is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? For to the man who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy, but to the sinner, he gives a task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wind. My goodness. Y'all feel kind of uplifted and all that? You guys are like, yeah! I want to start off with Matthew seven twenty-one through 23. It's up on the screen. This is Jesus, and he's speaking, and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy what in your name? Cast out demons, what, in your name? And do many mighty works, what, in your name? We did the what, Jesus? And then I will declare, Jesus says to them, all these people who are focused on the what, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You workers of iniquity. See, I think we got a lot of people out there in the world who are focused on the what. And I think Koheleth... He's riding in that spot, right? As we read through chapter 2, do you hear all the eyes? For myself, for myself, for myself, I, I, I. And his life is filled with grief and stress and despair. See, we started off with that Proverbs ten seventeen: Instruction leads to the path of life. It's coming. Are you all tuned in? Or, there's another path that leads to destruction. And when you go down that path, Proverbs 10.17 says it's not just you, but you're going to lead others astray. The first thing I wanted to talk to you all about is a twisted outlook. Let's look at verse one, or chapter 1, verse 13. We're going to back up for just a second. Kohela says, I applied my mind to seek and explore, through wisdom, of course, all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. Miserable task, the anah in Hebrew. This miserable affliction to keep us defiled and preoccupied. See, when you've got a twisted outlook on the way things operate and who God is, Everything that comes after it is tainted, twisted, no hope. If you don't understand the why, everything that follows is doom. You could have all the money in the world, right? How many of us think, honestly, that it's like, you know, if I could just get out of debt, 
If I could just win the lottery, I hope you're not playing the lottery. I hope you're not. If I could just win, see, that's one of those things we won't tell our church friends that we do, but, you know, but when I win it, you know, when I win it, then everybody's going to be like, hey, could I get some of that? I don't want any of it, because if it's not from God, then I don't want it. The things that we do. We think that, yeah, money's going to be the thing that fixes my problems. Years ago, I, there was a girl that was a friend of mine, and she always was thinking about, like, what's, what's around the corner? I knew her for about five years, and all the time it was like always like, well, when I get that promotion, when I get that next thing, you know, when I move from this place to that place, if I could just get new neighbors, if we could just have one more friend come and hang out with us, if I could get the right boyfriend or the right girlfriend, if I could trade in my car, you know, for this newer one, if I had a different boss, we're always looking for what's right around the corner. And we miss the blessing of today. We miss it. See, we try to be content in our circumstances, but we're not. We seek to be content despite our circumstances. And there's a big difference. See, if you think that God has given you this life as a miserable task, everything that follows, ugh. So it leads to number two, a twisted goal. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. What does a man gain for all his efforts and labor under the sun? What's in it for me? See, because all through chapter 2, when we read that, it said, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself, for myself. I did this for myself. I did for myself. I, me, my, mine, myself, myself, me. Because it's all about me, Right? What does a man gain? What am I going to get out of this, God? What's in it for me? And we say, well, I don't think that way. You don't? Let, let's kind of peel back some of the lies that we tell ourselves. Well, I'm, I'm working all these extra hours because I've got to take care of my family. I've got to do all these extra things. I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm getting, I'm going. Why? So that you can, you can get the upgrade? Because what's right around the corner is better than what you got today? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all, but do we live that way? Was Koheleth living, the, the leader of the assembly? Do you guys ever wonder why Israel went down the toilet? If this is the leader of the assembly, this is the leader of the assembly. Everything that I did for myself, all the wives, all the concubines, all the stuff, I did it for me. Hmm, I wonder why Israel was busy worshiping idols on high places. I wonder why the temple was abandoned, why the law was never read and it was actually lost. Well, they were worshiping the bronze snake instead of worshiping God. I wonder. Look at that C.S. Lewis quote up there. If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So if you were made for another world, then why are you so invested in this one? Why are we striving? See, Scripture tells us, C.S. Lewis comments on it, Koheleth paints the opposite contrasting picture. I did all these things, 
But do we listen? Proverbs 10, 17. See, it's providing us with correction. Are we listening? I got two little girls. I pray that they're listening. I got a little boy who's going to get there pretty soon. They're up at that age where it's like, I'm making my own decisions now. Yeah, I kind of listen to my parents. But I'm, I'm kind of my own person. You know, I'm, 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 you know, they tell me they don't want me to do this, but I still do it. They tell me that they don't want me to stay up late. They tell me that I should be reading my Bible, but I don't do it. They tell me that I should be invested in these kinds of things, that I shouldn't chase after the stuff of the world, but I am. I'm chasing after that stuff. I'm not just talking about my girls. I'm talking about kids. I'm talking about the youth of our society. And statistics tell us that it's true. Because when our kids, they went to youth camp, they've done all the VBS, they've done Awanas, they've done all that stuff, and then they get off to college, what do they do? They rebel. It's party time because we taught them that it's all about fun. It's all about me, my, myself. What can I build? How much fun can I have? That's what we teach them. We don't teach them it's about the gospel. We don't teach them it's about fortitude and desperate dependency and wisdom. We teach them it's about go to the church that has the youth group that's having the most fun with the youth pastor that makes the biggest fool of himself that rolls on the ground, tells crude jokes, pushes the envelope. That's where, that's where you should go. Well, I'm just glad they're going somewhere. Why? Why are you glad they're just going somewhere? I'd rather my kids sit at home with me and hang out and be bored to tears than go somewhere like that and be entertained because when you instill that in them and then they go off to college, what have we trained, that, trained them to look for? Entertainment. Whatever's got the highest entertainment value, that's what we go for. So I got some friends over here that live over there. They're in a sorority. They're in a fraternity. They're getting hammered drunk every weekend. They're having a ball. They're not showing up to class. I want to go get on that because that is the most fun I could possibly have. And that's what my parents trained me to do. Go where all the fun is. Shame on us. If I find myself with a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation that I was made for another world. Are we living that way? See, if we got a twisted outlook, it leads to twisted goals. And 2.3 says, how can I eke out some joy from this meaningless existence that God has given us? How can I, how can I salvage a little bit of something for me? You know? How can I get a little bit of that? Kind of make today a little bit better. How can I do that? Well, I'll tell you how I can do it. It leads to a twisted methodology. 117, I applied myself to madness and folly. You did? If your kid came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I'm going to apply myself to madness and folly, would you say that your child is wise or a fool? But then we look at it in Scripture and we see Koheleth doing it. Oh, that's the leader of the assembly. So he must still be wise. He is a fool. Don't try to over-spiritualize it. This man is a fool at this moment in his life. 
applied myself to madness and folly. Because that's what Koheleth is doing. Me, myself, my, I'm trying to get it for me. I'm going after it because God has laid this affliction on us. And I'm just trying to get something for me. Wrong. It's twisted. It's a horrible outlook. And it leads to despair and sorrow and destruction. And it not only takes you, but it takes everybody who you love and everybody who's following you and looking up to you. It takes them down that road of destruction and death. I applied myself to madness and folly. 2.1. I'm going to test myself through pleasures. That Hebrew word, amusement. The things that satisfy the carnal flesh. If you're going to tell your kid again, it's like, hey, I want you to live a wise life. Are you going to tell them, go out and do all the things that kind of fill up your amusement factor? That fill up your pleasure meter. Does that sound like something you'd tell your kid? Would that be wise parenting? No, but Kohel is doing it. He's a leader of the assembly, so I guess we better listen. No! Don't follow. Listen to correction. Two, three. I applied myself to wine and folly. Alcohol. Yeah, that's a great recipe. I'm going to apply myself to folly. I'm going to apply myself to pleasures and amusements to see what I can get the most out of life because God has given us this, this miserable time. Everything's meaningless and futile. Really? Seriously? You're going to apply yourself to all that and yet you have the audacity. And 2.3 said, My mind still guided me with wisdom. How do you figure... How do you figure that you're pursuing everything for yourself, for me, my, mine, my? God has given us this miserable existence. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to fill up my pleasure meter. And then you throw in, there's a little asterisk next to it, right? A little asterisk next to that. And it says, but yet, I, I still maintained wisdom. I still kind of held on to that. Try and line that up with some of the things in Proverbs. I think you're going to have a little bit of a hard time still guided with wisdom. See, because if you have a twisted outlook, you end up with twisted goals, you end up with a twisted methodology, you end up with twisted outcomes. All throughout chapter 2, houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, orchards, lakes, servants, slaves, livestock, I hoarded treasures, I hoarded it. When you hoard something... Does that mean that you're doing it for other people? No. You're hoarding it. It's mine. Somebody comes close to your treasure, arr, you snarl at them. Arr, I'm going to bite your hand off. Don't touch my treasure. Don't even come near it. Singers and concubines, that phrase that's used in there is about uh, treasures and, and provinces. What's interesting is that's the exact same phraseology that's used when God says to Israel back in Exodus 19, He says, out of all the nations, out of all the nations of Israel, you will be my treasured possession." You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You'll be my treasured possession. And when Kohela says, this is my treasured possession, do you see the difference between God saying it about Israel? You're my treasured possession. I'm going to come. I'm going to go to a cross. 
I'm going to die because that's how much I love you. And Kohelet, this is my treasure. You better bring me some stuff or I'm not going to protect you. My army's not doing anything for you. You're on your own. Bring me some stuff. I got so much gold and silver. Just kind of see him sitting there taking a bath and throwing coins on himself. The madness. But he maintained his wisdom. Twisted outcomes. Let's look at 2.9. Thus, I became great. I think Proverbs says, don't become great in your own eyes. I became great because of all the stuff that I did for myself. You became so great that in 2.11 you say everything's meaningless. I love how in verse 2.10 he talks about his struggles. You see this guy who's like, if it's Solomon, the richest man who probably ever lived, and then he has the audacity to talk about his struggles. Man, I'm telling you, I, when, when I had all these slaves, you know, building all these projects for me, kind of digging out all that earth, and, you know, it's like I'm sitting up there, oh, man, these people do not know the struggles that I am going through as king. You do not know. Guy's down there with a broken back, you know? It's like, you don't know. Yeah, I'm really, I feel for you, king. See, the human condition is so twisted that no matter where you are, it doesn't matter if you're homeless, you got struggles. It doesn't matter if you're the president, you got struggles. It doesn't matter if you're a movie star. So where is it that you're going to go? At what point do you go around that corner and do you really think you've arrived? Did Michael Jackson get there? Nope. Go through the list of all of the stars and celebrities who have overdosed, who have committed suicide. All of the things that society tells us, that's what we're striving for. The stuff on the billboard. Go to the concert. Wear that perfume. Wear those $400 kinds of shoes. Go to the game. Get some of this product. Buy some of that stuff over there. Live in this neighborhood. And all your problems are solved, right? It's a lie. Because when you have a twisted outlook, you end up with twisted goals, a twisted methodology, and twisted outcomes. 2.15, he says, Why was I so wise? I applied myself to all this stuff, and now he's like, Why did I even put all that effort into being wise? Seriously? Why'd you spend so much time being wise? 16. I'm going to die just like the fool. Yeah, that's because you are a fool. I hated life. No, you don't hate life because life comes from God in a relationship with Him. You hate living a meaningless existence. Verse 20, giving myself over to despair. Verse 23, I'm riddled with grief and sorrow. I don't know if you all remember, but back in the garden, God said to the man, it's by the sweat of your brow that the earth will produce for you. Scholars believe that, that term, by the sweat of your brow, we think of, it's, it's labor, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do labor and it's you know, only through manual labor, when I, but that's not it. In the context, in the ancient Near Eastern cultures, that 
phrase, by the sweat of your brow, meant through stress and anguish. How many of you men have ever wondered how you're going to provide for your family? You don't have to raise your hand. How many times have you ever been up at night, you've been stressed about maybe mom and dad are sick, and you're wondering how you're going to hold everything together, and I'm the man, I'm the man, right, so I don't get to cry, I don't get to show vulnerability and stand in front of everyone. I can't really go in front of my guy friends because I'll lose my man card. If I show some vulnerability and I let people know that I'm struggling, that things aren't really awesome at work, that I've got a, a boss who's kind of a jerk, who's got something out for me, we're a little bit behind on our house payment, you know, the car is kind of broken down, it's kind of running on its last leg, things are coming apart, you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. It's all coming apart. It's coming unglued. It's by the sweat of your brow. See, because you're trying to do all that stuff yourself. Desperate dependency. See, you can end up in a place of disgust and despair in life, or you can be desperately dependent. See, Paul came to a place, the Apostle Paul came to a place in his life where he was like, I had all that stuff. I had a good upbringing. I had really intelligent parents. I went to all the right schools. I went to the right private school in Highland Park. I ended up going to SMU. Then I went to law school at Yale, Harvard, somewhere like that. I had everything lined up. My life is on this perfect trajectory. And then stuff happens. and it's all. But it's not supposed to happen to me. It happens to all of us. By the sweat of your brow. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life, but he who ignores correction leads others astray. I don't know if you all remember this from last week. I hope that you do. This is that golden circle. We focus on the what? In our churches, in our lives, we focus on the what? If I could just have the right what, and we try to reverse engineer life, just like Koheleth did. We try to reverse engineer it. And I'd come up with my own why. Why ask why, right? Just be satisfied with the what. Just be satisfied with the what. You know, don't dabble too much in the how. Certainly ignore the why. Just concentrate on the what. See, there's a contrast between Koheleth's attitude and and the person, the psalmist who wrote this one, Whom have I in heaven but you, Lord? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If you don't see the contrast between that and what Koheleth is writing, the psalmist is touching on the why. It's all about you, God. Whatever my circumstance is, I can deal with it. Because you're sovereign. You're almighty. You're omnipotent. You can do it all. And if I happen to be in a pit, you know I'm here. It hasn't escaped you. You're not taking a nap somewhere. You know. And so there's a reason why I'm here, but I'm sitting down there and I'm, God, please deliver me from the pit and the prison. And it's just like, this is... Is that what Paul did? 
Or did Paul use that opportunity to witness to the people he was chained to? You want to be my guard? You won the lotto today, buddy. You want to talk about the lottery? I'm going to tell you about my God. I'm going to tell you about Jesus, that one who just went to the cross. If you don't know about him, I'm going to tell you. He is the Son, the eternal Son from eternity past. He's the one that everything in Hebrew Scripture testified about, and He came. And He was born in a manger. The King of eternity, bigger than Caesar, infinitely bigger. And He went to the cross for me, the chief sinner. He went to the cross for you. I'm going to tell you about some why. Is that what your life looks like right there? Are you focused so much on the what that you forgot to look right in the middle? See, the why isn't a what, it's a who. He's the why. said last week it's because he's worthy. That's it. If Jesus didn't save us from our sins, if he never came down from heaven, if he never went to the cross, if he never came out of that tomb, if he never went back to heaven to prepare a place in the Father's house for us, if he's not the anchor behind the veil, the hope that we have, if he wasn't any of those things, he'd still be God, the eternal Son. He would. And he'd still be worthy of all praise, all honor, and all glory. If he never does another thing for you ever, that fact doesn't change. He's worthy. So stop sitting there complaining about your circumstances. Stop asking God to do another thing. He's already paid it all. He's done everything. Don't be faithful despite your circumstances. Be faithful in your circumstances. Because that is what honors God. That's what it should look like. He's the why, he's the how, he's the what. We talked about this last week. We said at Poetry Baptist Church, we're, we're zeroing in on our mission statement, but we got to start with a purpose, right? If mission is how, how we do what we do, why do we do what we do? We do it because Christ is worthy. Wednesday night, I stood up here, talked to the group that was here on Wednesday night, took them to Revelation. John is having this vision. He's on Patmos. He's raptured up. He's taken up into this vision, and he's sitting there, and, and this multitude is, is crying out, and they're saying, Who is worthy in all of creation, of all eternity? Who is worthy to open the scroll, to break the seals? Who's worthy? And John begins to cry. Because no one in the history of the world, not Buddha, not Confucius, not Barack Obama, nobody has ever been worthy. And he's broken and he's torn. No one's worthy. We're lost. We're destitute. We have no hope. And the cry comes out and says, hang on a second. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the Lamb, the one who's worthy of all honor 
and power and praise and glory. And the list goes on and on and on. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. If that's not true in your life, something's missing. Oh, I did the what? I, I, I made a decision for Jesus when I was five. Good for you. But why? I, I made a decision when I went to VBS because, you know, the church says we're supposed to make disciples. Let's make them. Let's focus on the numbers. Let's, let's have a, a production machine. How many baptisms are we going to do? How many disciples are we going to make? Or did Jesus, Jesus just say the imperative command is to disciple? You worry about me doing the making part. You disciple and I'll make them. And they go through all the what's and they get off to college and they go through this faith crisis and I wonder, I wonder if they go through a faith crisis because they never had it. See, I was lost until I was 33 years old, and there is nothing for me in this world. I love my family. I love my wife and my kids. I love them. They're a gift from God, and they're not just of this world. They're going with me to another place. See, what, what exists in them, what exists in the bride of Christ, are y'all going with me? Are we going to be there together when Jesus comes down and the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, and the new earth, the new Jerusalem is us. That's where we're going. That's the vision that we have. Why do we do what we do? Well, why do we go to church on Sunday? Why do some people stay home when it rains? Why do some... I'm not trying to, I'm not con trying to condemn anybody. But why is it with the smallest hiccup for some people, it's like, I'm just not going to go. Yes, there's spiritual warfare out there, but some people just aren't committed. And if you're not committed, anything that changes, because they don't have the why. And how? We're kind of zeroing in, as I said, to pursue, win, disciple, the lost, deluded, and disillusioned. And then the what? Exactly. Ambiguous, right? I hope not. See, because the ministry is the what of what we do, we could go around and we could imitate, well, what's LifePoint doing? What's LakePoint doing? What are these guys doing? What's those guys doing? Let's imitate. Now the big thing in churches is small groups. Well, we better do small groups. If we're not doing small groups, then we're probably worshiping Satan, right? No! You don't have to imitate other churches just because they're doing something. You allow the why to dictate the how, to dictate the what. We can gather together and we could never worship. Or we can gather together and we can worship. We could sing songs that we can never engage in praise and worship, or we can engage in praise and worship. We could have youth programs, or we could have a youth ministry. We could have children's programs, or we could have a children's ministry. Where we're training those kids up. Not only to make them disciples, that they become disciples, but they learn how to disciple others. We could teach them memorize scripture. Not a bad thing, but if that's where we leave it, treasure it in your heart so that you can rely on it. Not so that you can get some ribbon, 
some badge. The world can give you better badges. Jesus is the only one that's gone to make a place for us in the Father's house. Ecclesiastes can be a very dark, a very sad book. But we're kind of rounding the corner a little bit, and next week when we get to chapter 3, there's some light that begins to get shed. See, if we have a twisted outlook, we end up with twisted goals, a twisted methodology, twisted outcomes, and we end up with a twisted conclusion in life. And if you never look at if you never look at the why, you're going to end up at a destination that you never wanted to get to, just like Koheleth. Let's pray together.